Welcome to another edition of our Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. It is always great to have you with us alongside Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. Coming up on this week's show, Chris again has hit the jackpot in the guest department. We're going to have Reese Davis, the ESPN host and analyst. He's going to join us in just a little bit, so stay tuned for that. Chris, it's been a really interesting week for college basketball. We saw Auburn move up to the number one ranking for the first time in school history after their big win over Kentucky last weekend. And then they nearly blew it at Missouri, as you see so many teams do. They get that number one ranking, maybe for the first time, and then they go right back back out the next time and get beat, but they're able to survive. But uh, yeah, certainly an interesting uh, finish there and, a, and an interesting week around the SEC, among other places. You know, it's funny. I texted with Bruce Pearl, and I said, congrats on the number one. And he wrote me back and said, thanks. I hope it lasts longer than the last time. <laughs> right, when and he was he with knew, Tennessee, he, right? He knew exactly that I knew. Mm -hmm. Uh, They went in 2008. uh, Cal was still at Memphis. uh, Ranked number one, Tennessee number two. Final four atmosphere on Beale Street. It was unbelievable. And the game was great. Tennessee wins. And then two games later, they got to go to Vandy. Mm -hmm. And I texted Bruce back, and I said, not many teams that year could have gone 2-0 in that stretch of Memphis and Bandy and, and they lost and, but uh, it was still a good team in 08. And he had another good team in 2010 in Tennessee that I think should have played in that final four. So, but it uh, looks like he's got a team that could, could make some noise because uh, you know, Jabari Smith didn't even play that well and they were able to pull one out at Mizzou. So I like his little guards, uh, I particularly in my text, I mentioned Wendell Green. I said, he's got moxie. And he said, yeah, man, he really does. So he's, he's got that little man syndrome. You're not going to mess with him. Yeah, and then, then Kessler's got the big man syndrome where he uh, do- oh, dominates everything around the basket. want to ask you a strategy question about the end of that Missouri game because Auburn was ahead 55-54, and the Tigers had the ball, Auburn Tigers had the ball, I think it was like 35, 36 seconds. Missouri chose to play out a possession of defense, and then they ran out of time after Auburn got to the end of the shot clock, took a shot and missed. There was a scramble on the baseline for the loose ball, and in the meantime, the clock just runs out, and Missouri runs out of time. To me, I thought Missouri should have fouled way early in that possession and just tried to stretch the game out a little bit there and play the foul game because you just don't leave yourself enough time on the backside if the other team misses a shot when you get down to the end of the shot clock. I couldn't agree more. I can't remember the game because I've watched a million this week, but that happened to another team. And, yeah, I, you've got to play the percentages. I remember, you know, growing up watching guys like Dean Smith and, and just uh, tacticians just really work that clock. And I, I think you've got to play the percentages. I'm one of those guys that, that would fall. If I'm up three and somebody's coming down uh, to try to hit a three, I'm going to follow them. Uh, I, I almost don't even care. They say, well, you can have, you should do it with 10 seconds or less or six right. seconds or less. People are mixed on that, but I'm like, just don't follow them in the act, follow them and we'll take our chances. Cause how many times have you seen it work where, where somebody intentionally misses and you gets the ball back and puts it up. I can remember only once live. And that was, I think Kentucky versus Mississippi state in the SEC tournament. Am I right on that? Do you remember that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do vaguely remember that. Uh, was that the game in Nashville where Kentucky tied it and it they, they went to overtime? I yep. think you and I were sitting yeah, together, in fact. Um, um, yep, I, I do remember that when it ended up in OT. 
Uh, but it, it doesn't it, happen. It doesn't happen very often. You're right. I go yeah. back and forth on that one uh, on whether you foul if you're if you're up three at the end. But you know, in that in that circumstance, you're only down by one point. If you foul, the worst you can be is down by three if they hit both free throws, and you give yourself at least one possession to go down with a decent amount of time and try to tie the game right there. So I, I thought that was interesting strategy. And Missouri just ran out of time. They came roaring out of the gates at the beginning of that game and opened up a big lead. But Auburn caught up by halftime, and then it was close. Uh, pretty much the rest of the way. But uh, they held on, and uh, I guess we'll hold on to the number one ranking if they win again coming up this weekend. Same night, around the same time, Kentucky survived against Mississippi State. Uh, that game went to overtime. Speaking of Kentucky, Mississippi State, and OT, 82-74. Yeah. It was uh, John Calipari's 800th career win. They celebrated that one. And also that night, Georgia upset Alabama for the Bulldogs' first SEC win, 82-76. I thought Bama might come back and steal it at the end there at Stegman Coliseum, but Georgia was able to hang on. To me, that was that was a pretty surprising win. Uh, Georgia had not they, – they had played well in spurts, but not really put it together for a whole game. They did that night against the Crimson Tide. Yeah, I, I just wonder if, if um, Tom Cream might be the next guy to get yeah. bought out of a contract midway. Uh, it just really hasn't worked out there that well for him, and – I think part of it has just been the revolving door of players. But, boy, that, that night, uh, they've added to Alabama's woes. Uh, I heard Jimmy Dykes trying to explain Alabama, and I just don't think they've got that swagger defensively that they had last year. And they really need to get that back if, if they want to make another run in the NCAAs like they did last year. Then on Wednesday night, Tennessee held off Florida for when they had to have 78-71. The Volunteers were down 13 in the first half. They turned it over 12 times in that first half and had a stretch where they had no field goals and seven turnovers in, in a span of about, I don't know, five minutes or so. But Vescovy uh, got hot from three, hit five, scored 23 points. So uh, Tennessee got a big win over Florida. I did Vanderbilt's game at South Carolina. Commodores were up by 11 in the second half. And then Carolina went on a 15-1 to run to wipe all that out. Vanderbilt got back even, but uh, South Carolina just really turned up the pressure and, and Vanderbilt turned it over a whole bunch of times and uh, Gamecocks ended up getting to the finish line in that one. So uh, some interesting results over the uh, last couple of days here in the SEC. Uh, definitely, and uh, I know that you have added to a personal streak uh, you you found your way to a couple of new arenas uh, this week. I have. Uh, just since Saturday, I've been to two new places. I had not been to the O'Connell Center, uh, now called Exact Tech Arena, down in Gainesville, where Florida plays. And then uh, on Wednesday, I went to Colonial Life Arena in Columbia, which was way bigger than I was expecting it to be. That place it's holds huge. Like, it holds like 18,000. Uh, by my calculations, I think it's the fourth biggest in the SEC, Kentucky and Tennessee and Arkansas. They might have overbuilt that one, I think. Yeah, maybe a little bit. But I, I think it's also, you know, it's a pretty decent-sized city, and they wanted to have concerts and, and different things to to go there. So, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a really nice building. I was really impressed with the O'Connell Center. Uh, they had done a renovation there about five years ago and just basically rebuilt the place. It, it's really, really nice. They, they redid the lighting and all that, and I, I, I thought it was cool. That was the first time I'd been in that building, so – yeah, I've added a couple more. I think I'm uh, getting close to 120 places I've done a college basketball game. So uh, I'm going to add you a few. You are a well-traveled. <laughs> you're, on, you're on the uh, Marco Polo team yeah, for I know. announcers. Yeah, it kind of feels that way. Uh, I'm going to add a couple more uh, coming up in February. Uh, other big news around college basketball, Chris Mack out at Louisville. I thought Pat Forty, who's lived and been around Louisville a long time, wrote a good column sort of breaking it all down about how Mac on the front end seemed to be a good choice for a place that needed cleaning up, needed some stability. 
Instead, he added to their problems. The whole deal with Dino Gaudio, uh, violations involving practice and how many people can be out there helping and uh, teams treading water. Duke comes to town on Saturday, so they went ahead and made the move. But uh, Chris Mack is gone. They negotiated the buyout and all that stuff. And now you sort of wonder, okay, what's going to be next for a program that at its best is one of the very best in college basketball? Yeah, I was surprised as anybody that Chris Mack couldn't do it. It seemed like a perfect tire. And in fact, he pretty much duplicated his career percentages. He was won 68% of his games at Xavier and, and 65 at Louisville. Uh, he was over 500 in ACC play. They started out 4-0 this year. Yeah, But uh, for whatever reason, he'd lost his locker room. I think somebody interviewed Malik Williams after the game and said, are you listening to your are you guys listening to the coaching staff? And he said, I won't be making a comment on that. That's not a good sign. And I thought, honestly, I was a little surprised last year when he cut loose Luke Murray and Dino Gaudio. Uh, You know, I I don't think – I never did think that – Rick Barnes didn't do it at Texas, and and that's why he got gone. I I, I think you just go down with the ship that you brought. Uh, That – I, I don't know. That just disappointed me about him, and it, and it really kind of set the tone because, of course, Coach Gaudio tried to extort money, and and he was going to pay out of his own pocket, and he got suspended for six games. So it was just an ill-fated start to this season, and it really started when he shook up his staff. And I hate to see him go. Uh, I think he'll make it okay on his buyout. He gets $4.8 million, uh, and he'll get another job. He will. He's yeah, a good coach, so a good too. guy. It's just a tough gig. I'm telling you, the the new schools that got added to the ACC are finding out that is one (laughs) tough league. I mean, Jamie Dixon had it going on at Pitt, and he didn't hang around very long after Pitt moved to the ACC. He beat it for his alma mater, TCU, and now look at Pitt. Jamie would have been fired there. Uh, They are struggling under two coaches since his departure to get it going, and you know, Syracuse has had its troubles in in uh, conference play. Uh, they ain't playing around in the ACC, man. And so I think that's part of it. Uh, and, and for whatever reason, I, I don't know, Chris Mack just – he was hired to, you know, sort of clean up the act. And ironically, he, he added to their NCAA troubles. So uh, tough break for a good guy, but like I said – he uh, rides off into the sunset with his saddlebags a little heavier <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> with right. coin, yeah. and, and he's going to get another job. Somebody will hire him. I promise you that. Yeah, you know, you, you think about the the COVID seasons we've had here. Louisville was a COVID casualty in, back in 2020 because, because they were really good, and they probably had a chance to go pretty deep in the tournament uh, before it all got shut down. And then, you know, last year, to me, last year was sort of a, a crapshoot for pretty much everybody in college basketball. But real quick, give me a name or two you might really think to be in play for that job. I know people have talked about Kenny Payne, who was a terrific player there. Uh, he's been an assistant, uh, most notably at Kentucky. Uh, give me maybe a couple more you think might uh, be possibilities at, at Louisville. Well, I'll tell you who isn't, Bruce Pearl and Nate Oates. Uh, I I like Kenny Payne. I think he paid his dues at Kentucky, now in the NBA. Who's the coach at Bellarmine? Uh, Scotty Uh, Davenport. Yeah. uh, He's a little older, uh, 66, I think, but he runs an exciting brand of ball and and knows the the area and knows what it's going to take. So 
that wouldn't be, uh, as they say, that I don't think that would win the press conference, but it might just be the right hire, right. kind of like Mick Cronin at UCLA. He, he wasn't their first, second, or third choice, but he turned out to be the best choice. Yeah, Scotty Davenport is, I mean, he is a Louisville guy. He was a great high school coach there for a long time, and you know, he was an assistant uh, at, at Louisville with Patino. Um, and then he's Bellerman has made the move up to Division One, and they've been really good since they got there. So uh, that that and that's one that that Pat Forty mentioned in his column that, like you say, might not win the press conference, but as far as you know, bridging the gap to whoever might be a more long term solution uh, might might be a, a good choice for them. One league that I find interesting night in and night out is the Big East, where Providence has become the big dog. They beat Xavier 65-62 last night, and a Xavier team that's ranked 21st, and they're 4-4 four and four in the league. But what about Shaka Smart at Marquette? Seems like a good fit after taxes didn't work out. Marquette's 7-3 and three in that league, and they're ranked 22nd, 15-6 overall. He's done a good job in a place that I think when he took that job at Marquette, everybody said, okay, that, that makes some sense right there. Yeah, it did. I mean, everybody thought Texas made sense. Uh, that was the Me one included. job his assistants, yeah, uh, his assistants, several of whom I know very well, said that's the job he'll take. You know, he turned down NC State, he turned down Illinois, he turned down UCLA, didn't work out there. I went back to some of those same assistants and asked why. They told me, and they said Marquette will be his place. So you look. They, they, they got started pretty well. Uh, then there was a stretch from December 11th to January 1. They lost four straight and had a cancellation. Now they've won seven straight, including over then number 11 Villanova, then number 20 Seton Hall. Uh, they're in the top 25. And ironically, Texas, which started preseason polls at number five, is out of the top 25. So you just never know. But Shock is one of the good guys uh, in the game. I, I think that at Texas, he probably did a couple of things that he doesn't usually do. Uh, they they had to deal in top, uh, you know, five-star players. Wasn't really comfortable with that. And they kind of had to back off that press a little bit because, you know, in a power conference like that, everybody's got a point guard that can break it. Now he's, you know, they're playing aggressive brand of basketball again, and I'm I'm happy for him. Chris, our guest has arrived, and uh, well, folks will know this guy well. He is Reese Davis, one of the best in the business, ESPN host and analyst. Reese, how's it going this morning? Everything's great. How are you guys? Doing fine. Good. Doing well, yeah. buddy. Uh, I, I, th- I find it always amazing. Uh, on National Championship Monday night, you're interviewing the uh, Georgia and the winning team, and the, like it seems like a day later, you're behind the mic uh, covering basketball. How do you make that transition? We were talking off the air about Jay Billis giving you a little grief for it, but it ain't easy, is it? <laughs> well, you know, look, it's not, Chris. It's not breaking rocks. I understand that. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not digging ditches, and I do, I do love my job in doing both. But there's, there's something about, you know, Jay always says, and he's right that people are capable of paying attention to more than one thing. But I think there's a level of engagement and a level of um, concentration or something that goes specifically around a championship night that that almost leaves you immersed in that and makes it a little more difficult to get your, your mind around the other stuff. Because I'll look, I'll be in my hotel room, um, you know, during the national championship in football or during the semifinals and, and I'll have basketball games on, you know, while I'm prepping, yeah. but there's just a different level of 
engagement, I think, that happens when you make that transition. But the thing that I always say is that it takes just a little while to have that little trigger in your brain go from, uh, we'll use the number one team, to go from when you think Auburn, that's Brian Harson, Bo Nix, uh, Auburn, Bruce Pearl, Jabari Smith, you know, just <laughs> what pops in your mind immediately so that you don't, you don't have those things. And so much with so much change this year, I mean, we've seen it in football too, but not to the degree of basketball yet um, in terms of personnel being different places and, you know, all of that, all of that kind of thing, you know, like, uh, I mean, there are just so many examples of guys that you go, wait, he's supposed to be there, you know, and it just making, making that second nature is, uh, you know, just, just takes, it just takes a few days. Usually we'll, we'll get there. We're on our way. Reese, one thing I, I wanted to ask you and anybody that's done any amount of broadcasting can appreciate the, the multitasking that you're doing when you host those game day shows, how long did it take you to sort of find your comfort zone as a host in those settings? Um, well, it's, a, it's a great question, and I, I wish I had a real concrete answer for you. I think a lot of it started with doing the studio for mm-hmm. as long as I did, because none of that is is scripted. I mean, there's a rundown, you know, you know which order of games you're going to talk about. Maybe you know a topic, but you know, there's no teleprompter or script or right. anything like that for any of those studio shows. And back in the day, the studio shows were a lot different from what they are now and by the studio shows, I don't mean sports center. I mean uh, like the Phil shows uh-huh. championship right. week in college basketball was always great fun because you would wind up, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you would wind up with these long Phil shows between mm-hmm. games, sometimes an hour or more. And, and the producer might say to you, Hey, let's go out. There's a close game in conference USA. Let's go out and see, let's see what Diego Guevara and Bobby Lutz are doing, you know, with, uh, uh, you know, with uh, UNC Charlotte. And we would, uh, you know, and you'd go there. And sometimes you would have to, you know, rather than taking the announcer's call full, you would talk with, you know, Digger or Dick Vitale or whoever's in studio that night um, about what was going on right there. And there was a spontaneity and uh, an immediacy to it that in many ways felt like maybe news people might feel like about election night. Yeah. And maybe that prepared me as well as, as anything. Now, when we started doing game day basketball and once we actually started getting crowds, which we mm-hmm. at the beginning, the way it was set up, we were so far removed from them and it was so foreign to the, to the basketball community to do that. Um, you know, once we started getting crowds, there's a little concentration that, that uh, goes along with that. But uh, really, I think it just just comes down to knowing your material, engaging in the moment, being spontaneous, and don't be too married to anything. Be aware yeah. of what's happening so that you can react to it and and have the best chance at making something memorable for television. Reese, one of your first games back in hoops was Clemson at Duke. What was the atmosphere like uh, at Duke and did it feel any different that you know Coach K is this is it for him? Did you all get to talk to him a little bit about that? We didn't talk to him about that, honestly, Chris, that much. But he did come over after practice and spoke. And you know, and Mike's been you know great to me over the years, and I feel like we have a a good professional relationship, a friendly one. And you know, he came over and we talked a little bit about the game team stuff like that. But the, one of the things that stuck with me pertaining to it being his last year and he never said that or I never said how's it going you know your last year are you getting nostalgic you know none of that kind of stuff 
but he started talking about the opening of uh Shashevskyville, or he didn't call it that <laughs> i called it tent city yeah. i'm like you know it's okay mike i know it's Shashevskyville. <laughs> he, he was talking about he was talking about the tent city and the yeah. students and he was praising the students and they had had the big snowstorm in north carolina a couple of days before and he said they didn't know if they were going to be able to put up the tents and he went in for practice and he said by the time he came out all of the snow was gone had been swept wow. away by the line monitors it was it's not as if it melted it was it was cleared by the line monitors so that the tents could be put up and he said intent city was there in Kville by the time he came out of practice that night i think it was a sunday after um, i think after the syracuse game and he said it he said it was really something to see and and showing the appreciation and it dawned on him because of uh, the pandemic that the great majority of his team save Wendell Moore and Joey Baker and obviously his his grandson you know uh, Michael Savarino is on the team that the great majority of the guys hadn't seen that they they hadn't seen you know the full uh, proliferation of it um but I, i'm probably going to speak out of school a little bit so it's great because there is a flip side uh to Kville. my I, I talk about my kids too much but my my son is a is a baseball player dude a graduate transfer baseball player oh, wow and so there is a flip side to tent city uh when he's going into practice or into the locker room which is in the same building uh he said sometimes he gets yelled at uh by line monitors not that he not that he really slows down for them much. They think he's trying to get into a basketball game. He's like, dude, I'm just going to practice. Leave me alone. You know? then, you know, so it's a, I'm just trying to go get a shower after, after individual workouts. Leave me alone. You know? So there's a flip side too. It's great. And it's awesome. But uh, it also, it also takes up some uh, prime walking space on campus. But it's a, it's a, it's a really special thing. Uh, it's a really special thing. I think for the basketball community for that entire Duke community, especially with this being Coach K's last year. Take it easy, line monitor. We're visiting with Reese <laughs> Davis from ESPN. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nobody's, trying to, nobody's trying to cut line here. Yeah, no, no. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Reese, in a state where they live the Iron Bowl year-round, how crazy has it been to see how good Auburn and Alabama have been recently? You know, the programs that have had pockets of success over the years and some star players and some great NBA players, but you know, not much in terms of big-time team success. I know Auburn made the Final Four a couple of years ago, but how interesting has that been to watch? Uh, it's been it, it shows that you can do both and it's a shining example of it that you can be good at both sports i've never really understood the notion that you know you are a football school or you're a basketball school it depends on what you commit to supporting and doing now there are going to be places where the fans just because of um, whether it's the region or the country, background, simple, which sport they prefer to watch, any of those types of things, that it's going to be, you know, Alabama is always going to be more attuned, meaning its fan base, to football than basketball. It's mm-hmm. just the way it is. Kentucky is always going to be more attuned to basketball than football, no matter how much success Mark Stoops has. But it doesn't mean you can't be good at both, and Bruce Pearl is proving that. Uh, right now has proven it for the last several years. And Nate Oates last year, though, they are really struggling uh, right now. But Auburn is, uh, you know, it's a great place to go see a game. It's a tremendous environment uh, when you go to games at Auburn Arena. Uh, They've done a really good job making sure the fans are close. Bruce, uh, you know, Bruce is the perfect guy for Auburn. 
uh, because he has he has a great passion about things. First, he's a great coach. Second, he's got a great passion and great personality. He's not, um, you know, he's he's not worried about having a little fun even at his own expense. I mean, the guy takes off his shirt in the crowd and uh, both he did it at Tennessee, <laughs> but he did it for a football yeah. game at Auburn this year, I think. So, you know, he can have and that connects with people. He understands mm-hmm. that and he's not doing it. Um, I mean, look, he's a showman. We all know that and we love yeah. that about him. But he's doing it because it's just him. He likes connecting with people like that. And I think for for a place that, as you perfectly said, Auburn has had great players, but never really had great teams. A Final Four team, a great accomplishment, tremendous yeah. team. Not trying to downplay that, but I'm talking, you know, Charles Barkley, Chuck Person, even Wesley Person, who had a good pro career. And if you're as old as the three of us are, Fast Eddie Johnson, Mike Mitchell, yep. you know, some of those guys back in the day were just uh, great, great players. And Sonny had some, Sonny Smith had some really, really good teams, but not really great, great teams. And now, right. uh, you know, now maybe they can, they can have both. And Alabama's, in much the same boat. Yeah. Alabama's had a lot of great players. They've had some teams that I would consider great, um, you know, in the course of my lifetime, but never championship teams beyond the the conference level. I still, uh, when I worked with Bob Knight, I used to I used to tease him, which you can actually do because <laughs> Coach and I got along great. I tell him, I said, yeah, that '76 team, you were lucky and got the benefit of a really good whistle. Uh, to beat Leon Douglas and T.R. Dunn and that uh, <laughs> Alabama team. So they had you on the ropes and said they should have won. And, you know, the funny thing is, kidding aside, they would have won the national championship that year. They were the only team that really threatened Indiana in the tournament that year as we go in the Wayback Machine. But your point is is well taken. They've had both schools have had really great players, not necessarily great teams, and now they're showing that you can do both. Auburn is particularly showing it this year because they are. They, they are okay. really, really good. Reese, those of us who make our living in and around the game were somewhat surprised at Chris Mark, Chris Mack's departure and somewhat not. I, I think that people really don't understand, people at large, how tough it is in the ACC, do they? I mean, you're around it. Uh, that's a pressure cooker for anybody. And if Chris Mack struggled to get it done, uh, I think that shows you that it's it's a tough gig. And it also shows you, Chris, I think that – and Chris Mack's a good coach, really good coach. I mean, we wouldn't have had yep. a success Xavier that, uh, at Xavier that he did were he not a good coach. He certainly is. And he had some good moments at Louisville. Um, but, you know, there were also some administrative-type things that really raised an eyebrow, the situation with Dino Gaudio that, you know, was uh, didn't cast either, in my judgment, in a very good light. Um, so – you know, those types of things, personality wise, um, I think raised an eyebrow here and there. And then you, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to be um, prickly or whatever, you know, you, you not necessarily with the media, we, we all, all of us in the media need to grow up and just take it, you know, whatever. And, you know, and not, you know, not, not be afraid of coaches yet at the same time, not get our feelings all hurt. If they snap at us, you just snap back at them. They don't mind. They live with it, you know? And uh, so, you know, and not get our feelings all hurt, but with the fans, that that's the connection that the coach has with the fans. So if you're going to be a little standoffish, if you're going to have some um, tough moments publicly, you know, whether it be through, 
through video or through uh, personnel or staff changes. If you're going to have those awkward moments, you better win. And at the end, and you also, it would also help at Louisville if you were entertaining while you won. Yeah. And really, they didn't do enough of either of those last two to offset the other. Now, I'm not, I don't like the decision to do it in the middle of the year. I don't know what purpose that serves, unless having not been there is just simply so toxic that no one, people can barely move, you know, metaphorically speaking, of course. Yeah. You know, if that's the case, okay. And maybe it was the way it seems, but it's a, it is a little surprising that it happened the way it did, that it unraveled as quickly as it did. And, but I do think it's a, I think it's a great place. I think it's a really, really good time for people to have a chance to step forward in the ACC. You have a lot of change in programs. So I think uh, the changes at North Carolina and Duke are not going to create this big, uh, big opening that everybody thinks. I mean, they're, you know, I think uh, one ACC coach tell me a few days ago, he goes, a lot of my people are going, the door's opening, the door, you know, uh, Roy's gone, Hubert's first year, Kay's leaving, the door's open. He's like, you know how that door's barely cracked. It's microscopically cracked. They're, first of all, those guys are, you know, I mean, Hubert, I mean, you guys know, we get accused of announcer bias. I'm biased to Hubert Davis. Yeah, I mean, Hubert Davis is yeah. one of my closest friends. And I'll be fair and all that. Like I called a game where they got beat by a thousand, looked awful and said so. But, you know, it's, um, you know, it's, you know, I, I love Hubert. Uh, he's going to be great. I've known John Shire and, and John's family since John was a player at Duke. He's going to do great. That said, it is going to be different. And uh, Leonard Hamilton's in his 70s, and Jim Laranega, the young buck of the 70 clubs, in his 70s, and Jim Beheim is 170. No, <laughs> I'm say, kidding, he's in his Jim. 80s, I think. <laughs> you know, but, but, but Jim, the thing is, those other guys, you know, Leonard and Jim might be, Leonard and Jim Laranega might be thinking, yeah, you know what, maybe I'll do something else. Not Beheim. He, <laughs> he's going to be 128 and leading the orange out onto the floor. Here, here's Jim Beheim going for his 2,800th win. He's 132 years old and looks the same as he did. 1974 you know? <laughs> no I, I love I love Bayheim but kidding aside it is a bit a transition time is coming in ACC basketball and Louisville uh, is well positioned and especially and the other thing too is with the dynamic of the way the recruiting goes now with getting guys out of the transfer portal depending on how that evolves over the next few years Louisville is there's an opportunity there to be where they would like to be in terms of the power structure in the ACC. And they have to make sure that they have the right leadership and that they try to avoid all of this, uh, you know, all of the extracurriculars and the nonsense uh, that, you know, that could uh, get it done. I guess on that subject, um, I've been telling everybody, so you guys will be the first for me to try out the material. If Louisville's, <laughs> look, if, if Louisville's looking for a coach, I've got the guy. Uh, he's doing a great job at a mid-major, and he already knows his way around the city. I'd hire that fellow at Iona and see if he can, <laughs> see if he can work a little magic. <laughs> yeah, what's that guy's name? <laughs> Richard uh, Rick Patino. Rick Patino. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that uh, developing situation. <laughs> yeah, you guys will know when I break that one out on game day right. Saturday that I used it here first. <laughs> 
<laughs> Reese, uh, before we let you go, you guys will be at at Allen Fieldhouse, right, uh, in Lawrence for uh, Kansas and Kentucky on Saturday. To me, that I, I love that place. It's no frills. It's all basketball. Great fans, big crowds, old building. It's it's just awesome there. Uh, I agree, and you know, all due respect to Cameron, which is kind of amusing. You ever notice when people say all due respect and they follow it with something that's mildly disrespectful. <laughs> right, right. I don't, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't intend it to be that way because I love Cameron indoor too, but Fog Allen Fieldhouse, Allen Fieldhouse is my favorite place to see a college basketball game. And if they said, Hey, you know what? You're going to have to use your at home kit for the rest of your life calling games. You never get to go to another game, but we'll let you go to one more. And, you know, before you call the games from from your office forever, which, you know, you know, the good thing is you get to walk out and then you're at home. But the bad thing is, you know, you're not at the game. Uh, but I would go to Allen Fieldhouse. It's wow. um, it, all the things that you said about it are perfect, even down to a little thing that's probably just um, by chance or serendipitous. Even the lighting in the place just feels like traditional basketball. I don't even really know exactly how to describe that. I'm going to spend a lot of time Saturday night trying to get the right uh, adjectives to describe the lighting. And I don't know why I'm, you know, the windows that are up the top of the arena come in and there's a, it's not a glare. It's a, it's a, it's a shine. It's almost like there's almost an aura around the court, (laughs) you know, like a physical one, not, you know, not a a metaphorical one, like, it's almost like they're in a halo when when they're playing the game and the you know the sight lines are great and the fans are unbelievable and it's loud there's a traditional you know traditional chant and the rock chalk jayhawk and it's i mean it's my it's my favorite place i i love cameron there's so many other places i love to go to to see games but uh allen fieldhouse is my favorite venue in college basketball Reese, really a pleasure to have you with us this morning and uh, appreciate the time. All the best, and uh, we'll catch up with you hopefully down the road sometime. All right, guys, take care. Thanks, buddy. Well, that was Reese Davis, uh, really one of the best in the business, terrific host and analyst and play-by-play guy, does everything for ESPN. He's been doing it for a long time, and he moved into that chair on college game day, especially on the football side, as seamlessly as you could do it with a tough act to follow in Chris Fowler. And I think he's done just a great job. I mean, he, he and, and as we heard in the interview, just a great guy and, and, you know, some, some fun answers to our questions. So really had a, a lot of fun yeah. visiting with Reese right there. He's the consummate pro um, and, and, and great dude. He zoomed into my college sports writing class a couple of times, but what's funny is this. I, I, I one time uh, introduced him as kind of the traffic cop or the straight man on game day. And he kind of, he was he was just jokingly bristled because as we found out there he's funny too oh yeah you know yeah he takes a backseat to nobody in the sense of humor department but but the best thing about him he's the consummate pro does everything uh, that they ask him to and does it well and he's and he's good people uh, I mean a lot of a lot of folks in his position can kind of get the big head and, and uh, that's never going to happen to him. Games coming up this weekend, by the way, in the uh, SEC Big 12 Challenge. We mentioned Kentucky and Kansas. LSU-TCU, Oklahoma plays Auburn. Missouri against Iowa State. West Virginia, Arkansas. Baylor at Alabama. Kansas State against Ole Miss. Oklahoma State at Florida. Mississippi State plays uh, Texas Tech. And in the Rick Barnes Bowl, it'll be uh, Tennessee against Texas. <laughs> A couple other non uh, non. SEC Big 12 games. Vanderbilt plays Georgia and uh, South Carolina plays at Texas A&M. So should be a fun slate of basketball coming up this weekend. 
you know, we were also talking there a minute ago about the media and relationships with coaches. What did you feel like was behind Penny Hardaway's uh, outburst with the media after Memphis lost to SMU? He's talking about how young his team was, and I, th- I think the question was something to the effect of, did, did you feel like you're the guy for the job? What did you make of all that? Uh, I'm going to be honest with you, Kevin. That was a dumb question that I, I think cast uh, – a negative light on our profession. I mean, what do you expect the guy to say in that setting? Uh, Penny later apologized for his handling of it. I think he dropped about eight F-bombs too many. Uh, But, yeah, that was a dumb question. I I teach my college students, man, pick your battles. uh, Read the room. Don't ask stupid stuff or you're going to get hammered. Right. Uh, but, but, But Penny clearly is finding out that I don't care who you are. You, you can be the king of Memphis as he is. But when you come from coaching high school program, high school basketball to division one, and especially big time division one, that is no easy transition. And he struggled. Everybody had high hopes when during the summer, they, they, they signed Imani Bates and Jalen Duran. Imani Bates should still be in high school. He's struggling. Uh, they've had injury problems, COVID problems. Uh, I mean, nothing has gone right. And so for that writer, that writer just basically struck a match to a keg of dynamite and, uh, Penny went off and, and I, I don't blame him for being upset. I think he handled it wrong. And I think he's finding out that I don't care who you are. Like I said, when you make that transition from high school to D1, that's tough, even with Larry Brown on your bench. You know, one thing I've learned over the years, and hopefully have demonstrated this, is so much about dealing with whoever you're dealing with, whatever the sport might be, is about respect. And yeah, showing the the people, the coaches, whoever it might be, that you respect them, you respect their sport, you care about their sport. And I always feel like if you show that to people, then they're going to return that to you, and they're also probably going to help you uh, whatever you need, whether you need something explained, if you go about it the right way, people are, are willing no to help question. you. If you feel like, if they feel like you care about what they're doing. No question. And, and you do that as well as anybody, uh, just being respectful. And I'd like to think, I mean, I've always gotten along well with basketball coaches. I give all the praise to Sonny Smith, the former Auburn coach who still, I think he's 85, still doing color on the radio. I was a student at East Tennessee State, and I, I I got sent. I was on the school paper, and they sent me in to do a, a story on him. And he was in this little bitty office. It was no bigger than a broom closet. He was watching tape on a torn piece of poster board. <laughs> and he, instead of running me off, he he invited me in and immediately took me under his wing yeah. and, and, and taught me the game of basketball. And I realized right then that coaches get – too much credit when they win and too much blame when they lose. And because of Sonny, and I tell him this every time I see him, every time I thank him for my career, uh, he made me want to be a college basketball writer. And he just taught me how to be respectful and to understand that coaching is not easy. So, you know, I would give advice to that reporter who set Penny off, read the freaking room, dude. I mean, w- what kind of answer did you expect to get? Right. Uh, again, Penny Penny dropped about eight F-bombs too many, but I can see why he was upset. 
Okay, so to transition into our final segment, which is always our fastest growing segment, Boba oh. Fett, Boba Fett's been trying to read the room on Tatooine, and you know, and, and reach that level of respect with everybody around there. So, uh, right, it's, it's going going a little tough. For him. <laughs> it has, and I was a little down on the uh, whole deal after Episode Three when the Brat Pack came along, but I felt like they. They they brought it out of the Sarlacc pit in, in episode four of this season with some some really interesting. It was a, it was a jam packed episode. So uh, let, let's give the recap real quick. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, here's the deal: we we get an or and some people are actually being critical. Uh, one website my son said, like basically calling, uh, uh, you know bad tv and and uh uh you know uh, I, I i just don't get it we're not split, but, we're not splitting atoms here we're just we're just watching exactly. star wars i mean come on <laughs> yeah, john and calling john favreau like a hack come on you, 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 uh, he he's i think he's brilliant anyway they did get it back on track um you know boba is 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 getting himself a mob and and as we suggested in our last spoiler filled boba fett recap <laughs> we're like hey you got to get the big wookie uh black chrysanthemum i mean he, he he's muscle so they have a great scene in the bar where uh, he sees these trandoshans having a good time winning at the slots or whatever and he's getting madder and madder as he goes as it turns out, and I didn't know this, my son, you know, read, read the comic books and all the other. Trandoshans used to hunt Wookiees. Ah. So Black Chrysanthemum says, I've had enough of yeah, this. Yeah, he's got stuff. a long so memory. He puts on his, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he, he rips a couple of them up and I think dismembers one. But Jennifer Beals, I want what she's having. She looks fantastic. Uh, to, and she plays the, the friendly... Uh, bar owner and mm -hmm. she comes and tries to to, to talk uh the black wookie down and she kind of does but then he dismembers a guy but you sort of get that but it, but as he walks out boba fett follows him he's witnessed this carnage and he says you look like you could use a job and he's like <laughs> okay everything's good and then i'll close with this we called it and, and we, you know there's been another episodes uh but it's it just dropped yesterday, so we're not going to talk about it. But there was a certain theme song as as the fourth episode mm -hmm. closed, and we were absolutely right about what it meant. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, my son and I are looking forward to watching the next episode. But yeah, that that last one uh, there was a lot going on, and uh, even a part that I didn't understand was some bad strategy by Boba Fett was driving his his ship down into the Sarlacc pit to look for his armor. It's like, dude. No, oh, man. <laughs> man, that, that, that well, thing's like, still what, kicking what down thinking? there, dude. Yeah, no, it wasn't, you know, yeah. it just because he blasted out of there didn't mean the thing was dead, so uh, I guess it is now. But, uh, yeah, they were able to, to blow it up and, and get out of there. But, I, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the next episode. And, uh, oh, we you'll look forward love to... it, and I know your son will, too. All right, all right. Well, that, that sounds uh, promising. We'll have another uh, spoiler-filled Boba Fett recap coming up on next week's show. Chris, uh, terrific as always. Thanks again for uh, landing Reese Davis for us. That was a lot of fun, and uh, catch up oh, with you no, again next time, a, man. He's a good friend. I'm, I'm glad to get him, and thanks, buddy. I always enjoy it. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. That is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We'll talk to you next time.